Take your Bibles, go to the book of Galatians again this morning. The book of Galatians. Yeah, I was with Brother Joe yesterday. We were talking, and I was like, you know, we've been praying for, I mean, months as a church about his blood pressure issues and and all that kind of stuff. And I said, man, that doesn't seem like a coincidence to me that, you know, the way that he, the way he found out that, you know, or the reason he even went to the hospital to see um, what was going on was he was, you know, sitting down eating or something, and all of a sudden his vision went blurry, and um, and then uh, he took his blood pressure when he got home, and it was like 235 or something like that, over 150, and uh, so he called the ambulance, they came, and they picked him up, and they brought him in, and uh, I mean, he could have had he could have had a massive heart attack. I mean, he could have had a, a massive stroke. Um, but uh, for all intents and purposes, he just he's just like, oh, man, my blood pressure is high, you know. And they pick him up, bring him in there, and he's got, he's got a, a 55% blockage and in, in, uh, two on the left – or three on the left side and then uh, one on the right side. I think that's the Widowmaker, and that thing's like 90% clogged. And so he's got quadruple bypass, like Pastor said, tomorrow – um, seems to be in pretty good spirits, so just keep him in prayer. And I was like, man, I, uh, I feel like it's the Lord answering our prayer as far as, you know, why is your blood pressure doing what it's doing? Well, that probably has something to do with it. So, um, Lord, get him through Monday and, and get him on the road to recovery. And he said, so right now, he's only got 55% of his heart working. And I thought, man, that dude's working 50, 60 hours a week with 55% of his heart. I said, Man, I don't know what you'd look like with 90% of your heart working. <laughs> I don't know. What, is that? what does that uh, Brother Harris look like? I don't know. He'd make all of us young guys look really, really bad. That's what he would do. So back in the Galatians chapter number 3, uh, we, we, we left off last week um, with this thought of the Scripture foreseeing, so the... Uh, bibliolatry, if you will, the, what we are accused of, of worshiping the Bible above God. And of course, it's not necessarily the case, but when you look at it scripturally, you know that maybe there's some merit to the claim um, as far as uh, how the Lord views the Bible, what the Bible is able to do, what the, the characteristics of the Bible that are given. And, um, <coughs> and we know that that's, that's Bible believers um, what you find out when you start asking people and, and, and you see what people believe and, and people start to tell you what they believe, what you realize is that the majority of Christians today, they're very shallow, okay? They're extremely shallow. And in, in them being shallow, what they do is they, is they are able to either, um, they're, they're able to hide what they actually believe. So... I don't say that to be combative towards other churches or towards other preachers or anything else like that, but here's, here's one for you. you. You go up and you put two preachers next to each other. One says, I'm a Bible believer, and the other one says, I'm a Bible believer. And you go, oh, well, they're both Bible believers, right? <laughs> right? And, then, and you go, okay, okay, well, what Bible do you, do you believe? And the guy says, I believe the King James Bible is the Word of God. And the other guy, you say, well, what Bible do you believe? And he says, I believe the King James Bible is the Word of God. They go, oh, my goodness, they're both King James Bible-believing preachers, right? And then you go, oh, okay, okay, you believe the King James Bible uh, is that, okay. And then you pry down a little further. 
And then one guy says, well, I believe that the King James Bible is the best translation from the proper manuscripts of um, the Textus Receptus. And you go, wait a minute. I thought you said... And the other guy says, I believe the King James Bible is the Word of God, completely inherent, without error, contained in the English language. And all other versions of the Bible are not just wrong textually from an from a academic standpoint, uh, but they're satanically inspired. And you go, that guy's a lunatic. That, I mean, that guy's view is just radical. That guy, he's got some, something loose. He's got a couple of screws up here loose. This guy, he seems to be... You see what I'm saying? But until you, until you start honing down on certain things, you have no idea... And so the average Christian, right, for one, if they, if they don't believe that the Bible is an issue whatsoever, right, then that doesn't mean anything. So be as surface level as you want. God is love. I love love and love and love and love and love, right? Or you say, I believe the Bible. And you, so you go around and you say, well, I just got to find somebody who believes the Bible. Yeah, but you have to understand, if you still believe that the right manuscripts are, 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 are superior to the King James Bible, that you're literally saying that you don't have something perfect in your lap. So what final authority, what basis do you have for anything that you're preaching? You see what I'm saying? You're, you're literally swinging around a wet noodle at that point. I could, I, could, I could combat anything you have to say and then just say, oh, well, I don't know Greek and Hebrew, and, and so that means that what's your final authority? Is in a language you can't read? That's the problem. And so you, you live in a world today where it's just like uh, this, uh, the, all the COVID stuff. It's so much information, right? And it's all surface level information. So everyone can have an interpretation. But the, uh, pro- what the problem is, is that is a marketing scheme that people have employed in churches. This is what the church has adopted in order to get people to come in. And that is, let's say the right things, let's look the right way, and then what happens is, is we won't have any real substance because real substance divides. And we're supposed to be an inclusive place where people come and feel good about themselves. Folks, that's not church. That's not church. You have to understand that the Bible, Jesus Christ said himself, he says, I did not come to bring peace on earth. I came to divide people. I came, listen, that's a hard truth. That's a hard truth. The Lord Jesus Christ says, hey, listen, I'm put mother against uh, husband, brother, sister, all this different stuff. And if you don't love me more than you love them, you're not worthy to be my disciple anyway. So what's it matter? Listen, folks, we're Bible believers. And the Bible said here that the Scripture foresees, and he gives it personal attributes, where he gives it its own set of personal pronouns and, and, and allows it to have the ability to see things and do things and walk among things. And it's separate from the incarnate word of John chapter 1. So what do you do with that? You know what you do? You highly, highly, highly regard this book. And you don't let anybody, anybody tell you that what you have in your lap is somehow infer- inferior to what somebody had 
2,000 years ago. Okay? And so, that's a pretty good preface, right? I didn't even get into the verses yet, man. All right. Well, let's see here. Um, we were in verse... Uh, I haven't even looked at the verse yet. What verse is that? <laughs> the scripture for seeing. Verse 8? Verse 8. The scripture for seeing. And then we talked about... Uh, we talked about... Um, the replacement theology, as far as God being done with the Jews, we ran some of those references last week, uh, going in through uh, the Revelation, or not Revelation, but um, Romans chapter 11, showing how God is not done with the Jews. And anybody that's trying to uh, replace them by any way, shape, or form just shows that uh, they're trying to um, make God a liar, as far as his land grant is concerned with the nation of Israel. All right? And so uh, let's pick it up here in uh, verse 11 where we left off last week. He says, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Now we went over to Habakkuk chapter 2 last week and and showed that in verse 4, this is a quotation of the Old Testament. And in verse number 4, the quotation actually reads that the just shall live by his faith. And so uh, this is, this is uh, shown and taught as a discrepancy in the Bible. Of course, we know that that's not the case because the Word of God, the way that the Word of God is written, and this is, I think, something that even sometimes Bible believers don't quite understand uh, when, they, when they think about how the Scripture is written and how the Scripture is inspired and that kind of thing. But it's rather, it's not the written Word that is inspired. It is the spoken Word that is inspired. Do you understand that? Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. All right, and that's and that's how and that's how uh, over in uh, Jeremiah chapter thirty-six, he could uh, Jeremiah could speak into the ears of Baruch. Baruch could write it down, and then he could go take it to the king. The king could take a penknife, cut it up, burn it up, and all of a sudden you're sitting there and you go, "Oh my goodness, the originals are gone." Well, that would make a bit, that would make a really bad problem if the written word was the thing that was inspired, right? The spoken word was inspired, and so he goes back and he says it again. The Lord gives him, and he adds to it, and therefore adding to the the understanding that the translation that he had uh, from the original was better than the original. So that's how that that's how that thing shakes out. You say, well, how does Paul how does Paul uh, get away with misquoting the Old Testament in in uh, in, in verse eleven? Well, it's simple. It fits New Testament uh, doctrine. And the quotation in Habakkuk chapter 2 fit Old Testament doctrine. And so Old Testament doctrine, a man had to work and had to do works in order to be saved. Right? It was a faith and being a proselyte to the Jewish faith, to be more specific. You want to talk about exclusivity. That's exclusivity. You didn't get to God if you weren't a Jew. And underneath, and you were subordinate to the Jewish uh, law and the Jewish, uh, Jewish faith. You didn't have no relationship with God. How about that one? We talk about a universal church being the body of Jesus Christ and, you know, anybody can, can get into it. No, if you weren't a Jew, you had to be a proselyte to the Jews in order to get to God. And so uh, you had to have faith in, and you had, to keep the, you had to keep the law. You had to keep the commandments that was placed in there. And, uh, and so that's when he says the just shall live by his faith. That's exactly why David said, Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Because the Holy Spirit would go on to a man and then the Holy Spirit would come off of a man. You don't have that problem. So if he were to quote Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, 
uh, in, in Galatians chapter 3, and he quoted it verbatim, well, then you could then teach that you could lose your salvation because your salvation was somehow connected to your faith. Well, it has nothing to do with your... We just read back in Galatians chapter 2 that uh, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ live with me. In the life that I live in the flesh, I live by the faith, not of me, but of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not my faith that I live. I live by the faith of Jesus Christ and his faithfulness. And that is, I, he promised to uh, be with me and to dwell in me and, and uh, that I was sealed under the day of redemption. And now my soul is cut away from my body in Colossians chapter 2, the spiritual circumcision that takes place. And now my soul is destined for heaven no matter what my flesh does. You understand? And so when Paul says that the just shall live by faith, he's saying, I'm living by faith because it's, 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 uh, it's just me and the Lord. It's me and the Lord walking together in a relationship. I'm not, I'm not living by my faith because my faith can waver. I'm living by Jesus Christ, His faithfulness to me and His plan of salvation that He put forth to me. And so it fits New Testament church age doctrine, and that's why he said it. And you know what? It's just as inspired in verse 11 as it is in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. You see that? Well, see, but we get caught up. Well, it was written and inspired in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. How could it be written and inspired the wrong way in Galatians chapter 3, verse 11? You want to know how? Because the Bible says the Word of God ain't bound. And you want to know what he wanted to do? He wanted to give you, uh, he, he, took a, he took a verse that was applicable in the Old Testament and he made it applicable to you and he just took one word out and you say, well, isn't that? No, the Lord did it. And if the Lord wants to change it, he can. <laughs> the problem is, is when you think you're smart enough for it, you can change it. Yeah. You can't change it. Why? Because you ain't God. <laughs> so don't mess with it. You say, I don't quite understand it. That's okay. Believe it anyway. You're trying, to brain, you're trying to brainwash me. Yeah, exactly, 100%. I'm trying to brainwash you in realizing you aren't smarter than God. Plain and simple. Is that, is that a hard one to, to grasp? You're not smarter than God. And it defies, no, it defies nothing as far as how Scripture is written or given or inspired. It's completely within the bounds of it, if you understand that. That's over there in Peter. Okay, but we won't go into that this morning. Verse number 12. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. The law is not of faith. Go to Acts chapter 13. This is a good cross-reference. Acts chapter 13. Verse 39. Acts chapter 13, verse 39. And by him, all that believe are justified from all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. He was the, he was the one that bridged the gap. Okay, what you find out in the book of John, it says that, that the law came by Moses and grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So he was able to bridge a gap in the fact that in the Old Testament, the law was only so powerful to take care of sin. It was only so powerful. 
Okay, that's why uh, in the Old Testament, and, and, and I'll, I'll just get into this. I know this is kind of basic. Some of you, this is like, you know, elementary stuff, and you, you know, just feel like, you know, you're sucking on your baba or something like that. But I know that there's plenty of people in here that still, you know, this is, is maybe new to you. But in the Old Testament, and you may read this and, and scratch your head sometimes, it says um, that uh, uh, in, in the Bible it says, and his soul toucheth, Right? His soul touched this, and he was unclean until he even had to go down and wash, so on and so forth. And that's because, that's because his soul was still attached to his body. You understand? His soul was attached to his body. And because his soul was attached to his body, that means that all of the sin that was in his flesh, the things that he was doing, the things that he was touching, the things that, uh, that he was prone to do, all of that kind of stuff, it was then attributed and accounted to his soul. This is the problem with the fall of Adam. Go all the way back to Genesis, right? The problem is, is now you have the knowledge of sin, you have the knowledge of good and evil, and now you are a, you, now you're prone to sin. Sin is now in your nature, and so you're touching things and doing things and thinking things, and the works of the flesh are manifesting. When are these? And you could go on the whole list down down the list there. And he's saying, now it's all attributed to your soul, and so there has to be a remedy for that problem. And the problem that came in Exodus uh, chapter 20 was then God introduced the law. God introduced a set of standards and says, if you keep these standards, I will remit your sins for a time so that you can get by. You see that? I'm going to remit your sins because, because without that, you'd go straight to hell. Right? If God's in heaven and God is holy and God is just and God is all these things, He doesn't let sin into heaven, okay? So, <coughs> excuse me. So the fix that God gave was the law. The problem was is no man could actually keep the law to, to the nth degree. That's why you read all of the, in Leviticus and, and, uh, and Deuteronomy and all that, He gives you all these sacrifices and ceremonial sacrifices that have to take place when you do mess up, Right? And the, and the blood of, uh, of the bulls and of the goats and, and the coal above the liver and all that stuff that you read about, right? This is all things provision because your soul was stuck to your flesh and your flesh was doing wrong and it was attributed to your soul. And the Bible just told you that, you are, that these people are now justified through Jesus Christ that the law could not justify. It was impossible. Just like he told you over in Hebrews, he said, it is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. That's why it was necessary for the Lord Jesus Christ, who's the Lamb of God, uh, that takes away the sin of the world, comes down sinless uh, completely, no sin without spot or blemish, and he comes down and he takes the, the weight of the sin of the world onto himself. Okay, so he says here that in verse back in Galatians chapter 12, and the law is not of faith. It's not of faith. Because the, the law, it takes no faith, it takes no faith to, uh, to keep the law. The law is and it isn't. It's thou shalt, thou shalt not. There's no amount of faith that it takes to do that. It's impossible for you to keep it. Right, But it doesn't require you to have faith in the law. That's why Paul said it was his schoolmaster to bring him to Jesus Christ. 
It's just a truth giver. It just tells you everything bad about you. <laughs> is that good? Is it, you know, isn't that a great thing that you have something just sitting in your lap to just tell you how bad you are all the time? <laughs> tell you that you're cheating and conniving and stealing and, and, uh, and you know, thinking bad about people and, and thou shalt not kill. And you're thinking, man, I, I haven't done that. And he's like, oh, if you hate somebody in your heart, and you're like, oh, man, maybe I have killed people. I'm a mass murderer, you know. <laughs> <laughs> have all these problems, and you're like, man, where does, the, where does it end? Now, the criticism for Christianity is that. You talk to the world about what they view Christianity as, and they say, oh, that's just, it's a very narrow mind way of thinking, and basically Christianity is just this set of rules and regulations that you're supposed to live by, and uh, bless God, if you don't live by them, then God's mad at you, and, and all this different stuff. See, they, they view Christianity in a binary way where it's just simply the law. The world doesn't understand grace for nothing. The world doesn't understand faith for nothing. And so their criticism of you is you're narrow-minded. And oh my goodness, that's what, like, remember when Obama was president and he got up and he said, well, suppose that, uh, you know, we just go by Leviticus and, you know, if somebody, you know, a, a kid starts acting up, we just go out and stone him. Anybody remember him doing that? That's a president of your country. What's he doing? Mocking. Mocking the Old Testament. Mocking the Bible. Totally ignorant. I thought I saw I saw that. I was like, bro, stay in your lane. Okay? Because you have no idea what you're talking about. Right? That's why they have to beat the beat the, the, the swords into plowshares and all this different stuff over on the at the Capitol building, all that stuff. Why is that? They don't even understand. They don't understand that it's not the law. They don't understand the Old Testament. Right? And so their criticism of you is you're narrow-minded and oh, you know, it's just it's all the law. And the Lord comes in. And he says, uh, and so the statement he makes here, the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. If you're going to do them, boy, you're going to have to do them to the nth degree. Go ahead and make it your life. Be a good Catholic, you know. Make sure that you've got every, you know, T cross and every I dotted. But the truth of the matter is there's something a lot deeper than the law. There's something a lot greater than the law. Jesus Christ comes in, the Bible says that he nails it to his cross, taking it out of the way. What is that? The law of ordinances found in the Old Testament. He says it's done away with in Christ. They don't ever talk about that when they talk about Christians, you weak-minded, feeble, frail, little, you know, weak earthlings that just can't cope with life. They don't mention that. The fact that you're the most free, uh, liberated people on the face of the planet today. I don't care how uh, liberal they are and they think, oh, you know, open your mind and free your mind and, you know, that's how you'll become, you know, enlightened. No, you open your mind and let all the junk come in and you'll be an absolute shell of a human being. It's like, oh, yeah, some weird hippie dude. I can say that because I come from a long line of hippies. So I have, yeah, exactly. I've really taken the banner and ran with it. Right? But you know what? He says, look at here in verse number 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Amen. Being made a curse for us. 
For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. I'm going to show you something. Go take your Bibles here and go back to Deuteronomy chapter number 27. Do you think it's an accident that every spokesperson, it seems like, for Christianity is an absolute moron? You ever think about that? Every time they interview somebody, they don't, they, don't, they don't get it in the slightest bit. And they misrepresent God continually. Because if you were to represent God as He's intended to be represented, and that is, He told you exactly what He wanted you to know about Himself. He gave you a book. Right? So when you divorce yourself from the book, as we, as we started this lesson off with, you divorce yourself from the book, you divorce yourself from understanding who God is and how He operates. So what you then do is you take snippets of the Bible that you like, and then you formulate what you think God is. Okay? And that right there is what we, in the Old Testament, would call idol worship. They take a piece of stone or they take a piece of wood and they would chisel it out into whatever version of God they thought it should be and then they would set it on their mantle and they'd maybe backlight it with some candles or something like that, make it real you know, sophisticated looking, overplate it with gold and make it shiny and then they would worship it and they would pray to it and they would bow to it and they would swear by it, right? What is it? It's their own mental construct of what their God is. So... What does the Bible have to say? He said, that he, listened, he said that he redeemed you from the curse of the law. Now, if you can understand what God, when, when it says the curse of the law, the weight of that. See, sometimes we just say, oh, it's just the weight of my sin. And I'm with you there. I had plenty of weight of sin. Amen. Glory to God. It's gone. He redeemed me from that. Praise the Lord. But there's some, there, you have to understand, God is just. God is holy. So take your Bibles, go to Deuteronomy chapter 27. This is a very interesting portion of Scripture. If you were to ask Dr. Rubin, he says this is one of the most torturous, dark portions of Scripture in all your Bible. Go to verse number 9. And Moses and the priests, uh, the Levites, spake unto all Israel, saying, Take heed and hearken, O Israel, this day thou art become the people of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt therefore obey the voice of the Lord thy God and do His commandments and His statutes which I command thee this day. And Moses charged the people the same day, saying, These shall stand upon Mount Gerizim to bless the people when ye are come over Jordan, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Joseph and Benjamin. And these shall stand upon Mount Ebal to curse, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, Naphtali. And the Levites shall speak and say unto all the men of Israel, with a loud voice, and he, you know what he does from verse 15 to verse 26? It's curse after curse after curse after curse after curse. You want to know something about the Lord? Here's something about the Lord. He's not just blindly love and positivity. You know what? Moses, he's, 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 they've, they've come through a lot and the Lord has now established them as His people. He says, when we cross this Jordan, you need to set, half of you need to go over here on Mount Gerizim and half of you need to come over here on Mount Ebal. And guess what? It's just like a battery. 
A battery doesn't work without a positive terminal and a negative terminal, right? And I think it's just a coincidence that he said in verse 11 that he's going to charge them. <laughs> Amen. And you know what he says? He says, we need the negative terminal first. And he starts to just list out these curses and curses and curses and curses and curses. And they are some of the most dark, horrible things you'd ever imagine. And then he gets into, into chapter number 28, right? And he starts uh, to talk about the conditions of the blessing. And so if you, don't, if you choose not to serve the Lord, expect curse after curse after curse after curse. Cursed you in the field. Cursed when you come out. Cursed when you come in. Cursed your children, the fruit of your womb. And he says, if you, do, if you choose to follow the Lord and to obey His commandments and to do what He told you to do, then you'll be blessed when you go out. You'll be blessed when you come in. You'll be blessed in the field. Your kids will be blessed, so on and so forth. He gives you a list of blessings. And then they thought that the curses were over. <laughs> Because from verses 1 to 15 of chapter 28 or 14, he goes, you know, through the blessings. And then verse 15, but it shall come to pass if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to obey, to serve, and do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Cursed shall be in the city, cursed shall be in the field, cursed in the basket, in the store, so on and so forth. It gets so bad. Take your Bibles, go over here to uh, same chapter, verse number 53. It gets so bad. Look at this. This is in your Bible. Jesus loves me, this I know, right? Verse 53. And thou shalt eat the fruit of thine own body. The flesh of thy sons and of thy daughters, which the Lord thy God hath given thee in the siege, in the straightness uh, wherewith thine enemies shall distress thee, so that the man that is uh, tender among you and very delicate. We have a couple of those in our society today, don't you think? Men that are tender and very delicate, right? The eye shall be evil toward his brother, toward his wife, toward his, his bosom, toward the, the remnant of the children which he leave, so that he will not give uh, he, that he will not give to any of them of the flesh of his children whom he shall eat. And you think that's bad. Verse 56, the tender and delicate women among you, which would not adventure to set the sole of her foot upon the ground for delicateness and tenderness, her eyes shall be evil toward the husband of her bosom and toward her son and toward her daughter and toward her young one and cometh from between her feet and toward her children which she shall bear and she shall eat them for want of things the Lord says, if you don't do what I told you to do, the way I told you to do it, guess what? It's going to be so bad. I'm going to cut you off so bad. You're going to be eating your own children. <laughs> Sunday morning. <laughs> this is adult Sunday school class. The little kids are in there. No big deal, right? Hey, listen, folks, uh, we, uh, we went to see um, a comedian last night, the Tim Hawkins thing, and I, it is what it is. We went, I had to go to this big vineyard church down in Cincinnati to, to see the guy, and uh, <coughs> this, uh, the pa one of the pastors of this, of this church, he gets up, and uh, you know, his, slogan, his slogan is, 
We love love. <laughs> what was the other thing he said? We love love and he just loved a lot of stuff. He loved a lot. He loved everything. And this guy's just loving it up. And my wife embarrassed the fire out of me. We're like in the fifth row. And, my, and this dude, literally, I mean, I could have a conversation with him. We're that close. And, uh, you know, and Paige doesn't say very much. <laughs> and this guy's going, we love love. And we love, uh, we love to laugh. That's what he said. We love to laugh. And they were pro- promoting this marriage retreat that they were having. So come learn to love each other and laugh with each other and make memories with each other. And Paige is like, well, do you love Jesus? I was like, oh, snap. It's <laughs> like, I can't take you anywhere. I was like, <laughs> I was like, man. I was like, I've never been more attracted to you than I am right now. My goodness. You say, what is that? That's, that's what most Christians are getting fed today. Why in the world would they want to come here and listen to this? <laughs> Why in the world would they come here and say, oh, they're telling me that God was going to have them eat their kids? Yeah. You say, what is that? That's a, cur- that's a curse of the law. Would you want that hanging over your head? Do the law or else. And then he gives you the consequences. Right? Right? You say, it's, 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 it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. It's supposed to be hard. And the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, He has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. So you know what He did? All the curses, that, the, the, the severity and the depravity and, the, and, the, and just the horrible nature of those curses. Go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I don't know if there's a time when I talk to somebody about the Lord for salvation, that I don't bring up this verse. I don't think that it's, it's the way to lead people. I'm just saying me personally, I, I tend to go here when I'm talking to people about salvation. Verse 21, the last verse in the chapter, For he hath made him, for he, God, hath made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. You know what the Lord did? He took the curse of the law. He took all the debauchery of mankind. He took the consequences of sin's actions. You know what He did? He placed it on a perfect, holy, spotless Lamb of God in the person of Jesus Christ, His only, His only begotten Son. And He hung Him on a cross for the world to see. You say, you know what this is? This is the fulfillment of the law. It just so happens that Moses ran himself into a situation where a bunch of folks were, uh, you know, in trouble. And, and uh, a bunch of people had gotten bitten by snakes and they're running around. And, you know, they're all dying left and right. And he says, hey, what I want you to do is take a serpent. I want you to, to uh, form it out of brass. I want you to put it on a, on a big pole. And I want you to lift it up in the sight of the people And if those people look at the serpent on a pole, they'll be healed. He says the message is look and live. Right? And so as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. 
What is it? It's a fulfillment of the law. Moses was, was, was the one that ushered in the law. Moses is the one that has given these commandments and the consequences of the actions of the law. And he foreshadows in the Old Testament what God was going to do to fulfill the law. And that is simply, I'm going to put a serpent on the end of a stick. What's the significance of that? He just told you, for he hath made him to be sin who knew no sin. He became the personification of sin. Now, this is, this is actually, this is actually uh, a controversial subject for some Bible believers. You understand that? The impeccability of Christ is what they call it in theological circles. The impeccability of Christ. There's no way that Jesus could have been made the filthiness of a harlot or the filthiness of a, of a, of a drug addict. No, he, he was not. I've had a Baptist, King James, Bible-even preacher try to pin me on the mat with that one time. You're telling me that he was tempted like this person. I said, the Bible says he was tempted in all points like us. We get without sin. Oh, yeah, well, that. And then you had to change it to make it fit what you ever wanted you to fit. Because after all, you were just trying to tell people they had to live right and live clean and, and know all this different stuff. You just want to put your finger down on them. So if you taught the impeccability of Christ, you didn't have a leg to stand on. We'll get into that in the Sunday morning message. But the issue, the issue is that God made Jesus Christ the, the, uh, just the representation of the devil in, the old te- in, uh, in Genesis. He comes in as a serpent. And so he says, put a serpent on the end of a pole and lift it up. And then the Bible says he made him to be sin, the personification of sin. Wrap your head around that one. Was Jesus made the devil? No. But he was made every filthy thing that man could do and that the devil unleashed in the garden. And God made him that way. And then he said, look at him! (laughs) Look at him! If If you had to touch him, not everybody could touch him. But see, everybody could look at him. That's why it's of faith and not of works. You see that? How come he didn't tell them that, hey, if you touch the serpent, you'll be healed? Because not everybody could get to him. Some people, would, some people would be closer to it than others, and they would throng it and everything else. You know what he said? Just get with an eye distance of him, man, and believe and look at him. And so the Lord lifts up the Lord Jesus Christ on this cross and he makes him sin, and the, and, the, and, the, and the temple is rent in twain, and so on and so forth. The temple veil is rent in twain, and the darkness goes upon. It's a sad day. And the Lord Jesus Christ descends where all sin belongs. Amen. Right. Jesus never went to hell. Sure he did. Amen. He had something to drop off. Right. He that ascended hath forth first descended and then he led captivity captive 
Do you see how this thing all kind of just comes together from Genesis all the way up here? Man, don't you just love your Bible, how that thing just ropes together like that? And then he's, and you say, oh, so in the Old Testament, they were, they were, they were saved uh, not like we are. You're right, they were saved by works. And so they go to a place called Abraham's bosom, and there's a gulf between the twigs. That's Luke chapter 16. And here's Jesus Christ. He goes, drops the sins off in hell, and I just think he just levitates, just like, whoo, across that big gulf, and he goes over into Abraham bosom, right? And he says, hey man, how's it going? You're like, oh my goodness, man. There he is. He says, you boys ready to go? <laughs> he says, he says, follow me. Let's go. He's, I'm going to show you something, man. You thought this place was good. Wait till you see what I got up here. And the Bible says he leads captivity captive. And so now you and I, absent from the body, Present with the Lord. Why? Because there's no middle ground anymore. And likewise, you ever read in Revelation where you got Old Testament saints, or excuse me, tribulation saints? You know, they're not in heaven. You ever read that? You go, oh, what's that? They're sitting there and they're saying, How long, O Lord? How long? You want to know why? Because now it's a mixture of faith and works again. Because now the Lord is dealing directly with the Jew again in the tribulation. And now it's a mixture of faith in Jesus Christ and the works of the law. And so now the law is back in play. And where the law is, no flesh can be justified. We read that. Okay? And so, in the, in, the, in the tribulation, they're waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ to come back and, and, uh, and to take care of it once again. And you know what you find out, really, which is really cool, and we're about ready to, to tap in, so I'll just give you something to like chew on for a second. Revelation chapter 12, right? Everybody ever read Revelation chapter 12? And you got this woman running, and she's with child, and she's running away from a dragon. You're like, man, what... LSD were you on when, you know, you know this, right? What hippie wrote that, right? No. There's this woman, she's great with child, right? And she's in her pangs of delivery. And here's a dragon behind her chasing her. And that's, and that's tribulation saints. Here's the Antichrist and he's doing this. And the, and the, and the Bible says she gives, she gives birth. You say, what is that? The Lord was dealing with the Jew and the Jew rejected him. And then he turned to the Gentiles and the church age, until the time of the Gentiles uh, be fulfilled, the church age gets over, he starts dealing with that. It's literally like a void in time. And now it comes back like this. But now you have the crucifixions already taking place, the redemption process of Jesus Christ. That's all there. It wasn't here before, but now it is. So now it's faith in Jesus Christ and the works of the law. We're going to pick right back up Israel, okay? And they go into the tribulation. The Antichrist is now physically on the earth. He's going after him. He's killing people, so on and so forth. And that woman who's in travail... You know what happens? The Lord has a process for the nation of Israel as a nation to be born again, just like you and I are born again. And he typifies it in Revelation chapter 12. And he typifies it through the, 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 uh, the dragon chasing that woman who's in the pangs of death or in the pangs of delivery. And she brings forth a child. And read that sometime. And that's the nation of Israel being born again. The Lord's going to restore them that the way that this Bible is written, I'm telling you right now, 
The way that this Bible is written, you can't beat it. There's no getting around it. So when back in our text, and we'll stop uh, and take a break before the morning service, but he says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That's Deuteronomy 21. Deuteronomy 21 tells you that if, you, if, you, uh, if, you, if somebody's hung on a tree, that you have to take them down before even because it's, it's a curse to them. You see that? And so the Lord takes all of the weight of all of that time in history that we just, just spat through in a few moments. He takes all the weight of that and puts it on one man, Jesus Christ. And you have the best end of that deal. No one on the face of the planet in eternity, past or future, has it as good as you. Because the Lord's got it set up to where all you got to do is look at Him. And you're saved. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for the, the book. We thank you for... Uh, Lord, these few nuggets that you've given us, Lord, through this Bible, Lord, to keep us going. We thank you for your goodness, your grace, the way that it's all been uh, formulated together like only the hand of a master, the mind of a master uh, like yourself could do. And uh, we ask, Lord, that you bless the continuation of this service. And I pray you show up and meet with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's take a break.